0: My name is Roy Biancolana, I am your host, and this is part three of a series that I have titled The Dating Manifesto, The Path to Attracting, Creating, Experiencing a Healthy, Sustainable, Intimate Relationship. The Dating Manifesto is a collection of ten commitments, ten ways of being in the world, 10 ways that we can commit ourselves to functioning, 10 ways that we're going to show up in the world. And so the first one, the first commitment was called responsibility, and that had to do with our results, right? Who's responsible for your results, the way your life is? Are you willing to take responsibility or are you a blamer? Do you play the victim? The second commitment Was called curiosity. Are you a person who defends yourself and just wants to be right? Or are you a person who's committed to learning, a person who's open to seeing what they might not know? Are you a curious person about learning what you're not aware of? Or are you in any certain situation just sort of doubling down on, no, I'm right about this. I know what the truth is and so forth. Okay? The third commitment was all about feelings. How do you relate to your feelings? Do you feel them or do you, like most people, avoid them? Remember with each commitment, we talked about there's a conscious way and a conventional way, right? So with responsibility, the conscious way is to take responsibility. The conventional way is to be a blamer and play the victim. It's what most everybody does. With curiosity, the conscious way is to be a learner, to be to be wanting to learn from every experience and every relationship. The sort of the conventional way is to just double down and want to be right and be sure you know everything, right? But with feelings, you know, the conventional way is to avoid them right? We distract ourselves. We medicate ourselves. We vent our feelings. We spiritualize them. We analyze them. We justify them. There's all kinds of ways we can avoid our feelings. Um, But the conscious way is to feel them all the way through to completion. And the fourth commitment was about our inner truth. I mean, what do you do with your, your truth? Do you reveal it? which is the conscious way, or do you conceal it, which is the conventional way? Do you withhold or give half-truths or have to calculate what you can say and what you can't say and try to control the outcome and how people respond and you do that kind of exhausting work of sort of you know editing yourself and, and being careful of what to say and how to say it and all that stuff. That's how most everybody does it. And then commitment number five was about your thoughts, about your mind. It was called the, the story commitment, right? And the choice there was, do you question your mind and the stories that you sort of make up when you don't know what's going on? Or do you believe them to be true and then act on them, right? So the conventional way is to really question your own thinking, Your own assumptions, your judgments, your opinions, and really question them as to whether or not they're actually true. The conventional way is just to believe everything your mind tells you and act on it, and usually that leads to drama. But now we're on to commitment number six, and this one is about your wants, right? So we've talked about your feelings. We've talked about your inner truth. We've talked about your thoughts. Now we're going to talk about your wants, or your desires, your needs. Okay? It's a major aspect of our lives, is it not? Don't we all want things? Don't we all need things? Don't we don't don't we all desire things? Of course we do. And that's the first point to make here. That there is absolutely nothing wrong with wanting things. It's normal, it's natural. It's normal to have needs and wants and desires. Okay, the question's going to be with this one, where do you go to get them met? How do you go about getting what you want or fulfilling a desire or meeting a need or an emotional need? How do you go about satisfying your wants and needs and desires? There's kind of two basic places to go. You can either look outside of you and say that I want to get my wants and needs met from people, circumstances, and conditions, or you can source them from within yourself. You can look within yourself to meet your own emotional needs, to satisfy your own desires, to give yourself what you want, right? So there's two basic directions. You're either going to seek from outside or source from inside. And so therefore, I call commitment number six the source commitment. Okay. So let's just talk a little bit about something that I don't know if I've shared yet on a podcast. That there are basically four core wants. When you get really down in the nitty-gritty underneath our, our day-to-day desires and interests and needs and kind of the normal stuff. You know, when you get down to the deeper psychological levels, all human beings have the same core wants. And again, there's nothing wrong with them. They're not bad. They're not evil. They're not anything. They're, they're just common wants of the ego. Every ego wants the same thing. I don't know if, care if it was someone who lived... A hundred years ago, or someone who's living today, someone who's living in Asia or America—it it doesn't matter. In a sense, human beings are all the same. At the level of what do we want? There's four of them. First, we want security, right? Every everyone has a want, a wanting to be safe, to be secure whether that's physical, financial, relational. I mean, we, we all want to feel safe. Second, we all want to feel approval. We want to feel liked. We want to feel loved. We want to feel valued. We want to feel admired or respected or seen or noticed. Every human being has a desire for approval. Approval. Now, this is where people-pleasing comes in, correct, right? People-pleasing is just the manifestation of wanting approval, okay? No, There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it, it can cause problems, but it's, it's normal to want approval. But again, it depends on where are you going to go to get it, right? People-pleasing is saying, I want to get approval from you. You hold the key to me feeling liked, loved, appreciated, wanted. You know, you, you're, I need your approval. So I'm going to be a people pleaser in order to get it. Right? Because you're seeking it from outside of you. Right? The, the third want would be the wanting of control. Right? Who really isn't a control freak? <laughs> We're all control freaks. We, we want to control the world around us. Frankly, if you look close at yourself, you'll find that pretty much everything you do all day is trying to control the world around you. Right? We want we want to be okay. We want things to turn out right. We want to know we're going to be okay in the future. We want to know that things are going to unfold, you know, in a way that will will help us or make our lives better, right? Again, there's nothing evil or insidious about being a control freak is is just what the ego does. The, it just ego. Part of it's wanting to be safe. If I can control things, I'll be okay, right? So those are the first three. We want to feel secure. We want approval. We want control, and then we want oneness. We want connection. We want to feel like we belong, right? We the hu- the human race is sort of a social race. We belong to tribes. We belong to political parties. We belong to churches. We belong to, you know, golf leagues. We we, we, we love to belong. We, we have a longing to be connected, to be one. And that's part of the longing of what a relationship is about. I want to be connected to someone. I, I I long to be one. I long to be merged. I I long to be to belong to someone. To belong or have a family. To have a, a group of friends. Right. So all four of these wants. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's what I found: when you try to get those core wants met from outside of you, you end up experiencing a lot of drama because it's difficult to make life continually and consistently to make you feel safe. It's hard to get people, circumstances, and conditions to stay in a place where you always feel secure, right? Because the Buddha said life is impermanent meaning nothing stays the same. Everything changes. That means relationships are not permanent. People are going to die. You know, right? There is nothing permanent. There really isn't nothing on the outside of you that you can plant your feet on and say, it's secure. I can depend on this, whether it's financial, occupational, physical, relational, There really isn't anything on the outside of you that you can really say, this is going to be here and be something that I can count on and trust in for the rest of my life. No, because life is impermanent. Life changes. So when you're looking for security on the outside of you, you're going to really experience insecurity. You're going to experience a lot of drama. Same with approval. If you're looking for a sense of wanting to be liked or loved or appreciated, desired, admired, you know, all of that. If you're looking to get that from the outside of you, good luck. Because people's opinions change. What they like about you changes. You know, and I don't have to say much more about that. Um. You're going to be on some shifting sand if you're looking to get a sense of approval from the world around you. Haven't you noticed how fickle that is? People's feelings change and what they value about people changes, right? If you're looking to feel like everything is okay, by trying to get the world to be a certain way and people to act a certain way and do certain things and behave certain ways and make conditions a certain thing, really, if, if, if you really are trying to be a control freak, you we all know that that just leads to drama, right? People can't be controlled. You can't control the weather. You can't control whether you get cancer or not. You can't control whether someone runs a red light and smashes into you. You you can't control what happens to your children. You can't you you can't control what happens to the stock market. You you, you can't control anything really. <laughs> it comes down to it. But we sure as hell try, don't we? We we really try. We try to arrange the furniture in our lives and to to be a certain way. I want you to act this way and be this way, and I want conditions like this, and I want. I want life to be this way and I want circumstances to be this. And I, I I want that, but I don't want that. I want more of that, but I want less of that. So we are sort of on this mission to try to control everything on the outside of us. But we all know that that's why we feel anxiety. It's why we get depressed. It's why we need sleeping pills because we can't control this fucking life. And that makes us feel wobbly, makes us it be anxious. Oh my God, I can't control things. What if this happens? What if that happens? Oh, life hasn't turned out the way I wanted it to. So I'm depressed or I'm sad or I'm right. So it, in the same with oneness, you want to feel belonging. You want to feel connected, right? And if you're seeking that on the outside of you, um, that's precarious, Belonging, relation, like we have already said, relationships change, marriages end, group dynamics are what they are, right? I mean, you might always be a part of a political party or something, but that that deeper sense of not wanting to be lonely, not wanting to be separate, when you look for that on the outside of you, it, it comes and goes, you feel like you've got it, and then the next minute you recognize you're, you're alone, you're on your own. Something bad happens in your life or you do something, you make a decision or a choice and you F up and, you know, and then you find out who are your friends and who aren't and you find out maybe you weren't connected or you didn't have a sense of belonging like you think you did, right? So if if you want to feel connection from... Life and people and circumstances, it won't take you very long to recognize that that's, again, that's like building your house upon the sand, okay? Which really is a great analogy. Jesus brought that analogy up. You can build your house on the rock, okay? So then when the wind comes and the, the, the bad weather and the crap and the shit is the fan, your house is going to maintain because it's built on a solid foundation. Or you can build your house on sand, And then as soon as any trouble comes, you're going to get washed away. And that's what this is like. You have these wants. You do. Whether you like it or not, you do. And there's nothing wrong with them. But when you try to get them, it's like building your house on sand. If you try to get them from the outside, if you seek from the outside, which is what everybody does. Look around you. Look at yourself. I I know that I do this. I fall into it all the time. Okay. In fact, here's something that'll blow your mind. The next time you feel triggered by something, whether it's a big trigger and you're just an emotional mess and you're angry and you're wanting to rip somebody's throat out or something, um, or a slight little trigger like you're just pissed off about traffic or you know you wanted to go do something and the weather's crappy, you know, and you get a little annoyed. The next time you're really upset about something or triggered or reactive about something, if you look closely, it's because you're wanting one of those four things and you're not getting it. Every time you're triggered, it's because you're wanting to feel safe and somehow you're not feeling it. You're not getting it from the outside world. Or you're wanting approval and you're not getting it. You know, like... Someone doesn't text you back or someone doesn't ask you out on a date or someone doesn't follow up and want to see you again. You kind of feel pissed off about that, triggered, scared, worried, upset about that. Why? If you look deeply, because you feel rejected. What's rejected? I'm, I'm not approved. I'm not wanted. I'm not liked. You follow me? So every time you get triggered, it's going to be because you're wanting to control and you're not in control or you're wanting to feel connected or belong or feel oneness and you're not. You feel separate or cut off or isolated or lonely. So that is just a fascinating thing that underneath every trigger is you're not getting a core want from the outside of you. Okay? So this commitment number six is about choosing to source from inside rather than seek from outside. That's what this is. You have wants. Fine. No problem. You have a choice. Are you going to seek those wants and learn how to find them within yourself? Or are you going to spend your life seeking them from outside of you? So here's how the commitment reads when you're operating from a conscious perspective. It says this, I commit to being the source of my wants, security, approval, control, oneness, and resting in and as that awareness. I commit to being the source. I'm the source of those things. They come from within me. They are who I am. They are, they are wants that I have, but they are fulfilled already within me. I'm not lacking them. That's the realization. Because it feels like we're lacking security or approval or control or oneness. The conscious path is to recognize, no, you're not. You actually are those things. Those things come from within And again, Jesus just has a way sometimes of saying things. Let me give you a little history on this. Back in his day, of course, there was no running water, right? You sometimes had to walk long distances with a pot and get water from a river for your household needs. Washing, drinking, bathing, whatever, cleaning, Okay, So you had to carry water in a pot, Every single day, maybe multiple times a day, down to the river to get water, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Okay, pain in the ass. So Jesus was teaching one time, and he said, you know, if you really knew what I was talking about, you would recognize that there are rivers of living water flowing from your innermost being. Okay. Now, the people of that day took him literally like, oh, uh, can I get that water? Because I don't want to walk down there. And he's like, no, 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 it's not. It's not physical. It's spiritual. (laughs) He's like, no, but you're filled with water. I know you have to go get it every day. You have to seek it from outside of yourself and go through of trying to get what you need and get what you want. He's like, but if you know what I'm talking about you already have what you want you're already filled with it you you have all the approval you need you have all the security that you need you have all the you have all the, the control that you need you have all the oneness that you need it's all there if you'll just look rivers of living water are flowing from your innermost being okay so a conscious person says That's my path. Like I want to learn what does it mean to be the source of these wants because I don't want to be dependent on people, circumstances, and conditions to give me what I want. That just leads to drama and and problems and I want to discover the living waters that are flowing from me. But when you do it the conventional way, the way everyone does, the way I fall into very often, the way we all fall into, but this is the way it's done conventionally. The commitment is this. I commit to believing that the fulfillment of my wants, security, approval, control, oneness, come from out there and that I must seek them from people, circumstances, and conditions. Now, this is... Is a very deep subject. How do I source from within? How do I recognize that I have the very thing that I that it appears to me that I lack? If you're a people pleaser, if you're an approval addict, okay, if you're a love addict, I wrote my my first book was about love addiction, relationship addiction. My primary want is approval. I feel that more than any of the others. I want to be seen. I want to be recognized. I want to be valued. And in relationship, I want to be wanted. I want to be desired by a woman. That's what my whole story is. I wrote a book called A Drink With Legs. And it's a play on words, meaning women were like my my addiction, my alcohol. They were a drink, but they had legs. <laughs> Instead of a, a beer glass or a... A martini glass or something, right? So that's my my biggest one in my life. And you could probably identify one of the core wants as being your bugaboo. Like, yeah, you might say, oh, no, control is my thing. Or security is my thing. I just don't feel safe, right? Uh, or you might feel oneness. Like you're always wanting to – you want to feel connected. You want to belong. You just – you know, loneliness or – you know, so um, – the issue is, how do you learn to source those from within? Now, it's beyond this podcast to go into that. Um, I do talk about that a lot on other podcasts. But this is maybe the most challenging of all the commitments to live and practice. It's not difficult to understand. Yeah, I've got these wants. Either I'm going to try to get the world to fulfill them, or I'm going to find them fulfilled from within me. That's not that hard to understand, but it is sort of hard to do, okay? So right here, that's what I do as a coach. There's lots of processes and lots of ways and techniques and things to help you learn how to find that everything that you want is already there. It's not about giving it to yourself. It's about recognizing, no, you you already have it. You have all the approval that you'll need. You have all the security that you'll ever need. Right? Frankly, King David, remember Psalm 23? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. So he had a sense of security in the midst of the shadow of death. And you don't live in too many shadows of death. Okay? He was literally on on the run from King Saul who was trying to kill him, okay? So um, he had a sense of security that was not based upon the circumstances of his life. And we can have that too. We can really experience that in our bones to where we can relax and say, if the market goes up and down, if my, my partners, they come and they go, my health may come and go, but I am safe. Not because of circumstances. I can't rely. I can't get security from circumstances. My God, it changes all the time. But in the midst of all that, I can ha- I can feel my feet are standing on something secure. And it's the same way for approval. It's the same way for oneness. It's the same way for control. So reach out to me if you have an interest in, in how to experience the beauty of and uh, the peace that comes when you are able to find and meet your core wants from within yourself. All right? Now, moving on. Commitment number seven. This is sort of about how you see people in the world around you. Okay? So feelings were about, you know, was about your feelings. Then we talked about your inner truth. Then Then we talked about you know, your mind and your thoughts. And we talked about your wants just now. Now we're going to talk about how do you view the people in your life, the people that you've come in contact with, your circumstances, like you're in total environment. Okay? So I call this commitment, is the commitment's called allies. Allies. And this commitment is about this. It's about choosing... To see everything and everyone as an ally rather than an enemy, right? The conscious way of looking at all the people in your life that you've known, that you've been in relationships with, that are in your family now, that have been acquaintances, that that and and every every circumstance that you encounter, every condition that you find yourself in. How do you view all that? Is it my ally or is it my enemy? How do you view all that stuff? The conscious perspective is to view everything and everyone as somehow it's in my life to teach me something that only they or that situation could teach me. To look at every person, even if they meant harm to you to say that that person's in my life. I choose to see them in a sense as my ally, that they are in me in my life to teach me something that, that only they could teach or this circumstance. I'm going through a health issue, going through a financial issue, um, going through a job loss, going through some family drama, How do you view that? Is that like an enemy or an obstacle to what you want and how you want your life to be? Are they enemies? Are they in your way or something? Or are those things happening to teach me something that only those things could teach me? This is a really challenging commitment. Because when you choose to see everything as your ally, you live in gratitude. You don't live in bitterness or resentment. How could I resent someone who broke up with me or cheated on me? Because in the end, I learned something about myself because of that. I'm a better person because of it. I'm wiser. I'm better at setting boundaries. Maybe I'm better at making agreements. Maybe I've learned to trust in something deeper than just a relationship, right? We really do learn some powerful things from great experiences, but also from horrible experiences, right? This is that phrase, if something doesn't kill me, it makes, it, makes me stronger, right? The only way that you would actually believe that and, and not have it be a, a cliche, like I went through a horrible divorce and I got cheated on or this or my job or my health, well, it didn't kill me. It made me stronger. So then if it made you stronger, couldn't you say that that experience was like an ally in a weird way? Because it made you stronger. Maybe it made you wiser. Made you wake up to something. Made you address an issue that you've maybe ignored. You can get fired from a job. And think it's the worst possible thing that's ever happened. Oh, my God, this is awful. My boss is my enemy. The whole situation is a negative. It's, it's an obstacle to what I want. But how many people have lost jobs and then looked back and said, you know what? That was the best thing that ever happened to me because it made me choose to look at my career in a different way. And I never would have gone in this direction if I hadn't gotten fired. That's actually how I feel about my ex fiance breaking up with me. If at the time when she gave me her engagement ring and put it back in my hand, if you had been standing there and said, Roy, this is going to be the best thing that ever happened to you, I would have punched you in the face, okay? Because I didn't see that experience as my ally in that moment. That was my enemy. That was my obstacle. That was a horrible thing that I didn't like, I didn't want. Right? But now looking back, oh no, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I wouldn't be a coach without that moment. I wouldn't be the father that I am without that moment. I wouldn't be the the person on a on a consciousness path without that moment. My professional life would not be what it is without that moment. I wouldn't be married to the woman I am now without that moment. Do you see? So If I had been really conscious and present at that moment when she gave that ring to me, I might have had tears streaming down my face. But there would have been something in me that said, this is my ally. I'm okay. This experience is going to teach me something that only being broken up with could teach me. And I could have found my breath. I could have not ignored. I'm not bypassing my feelings. This is not about repressing or suppressing or bypassing feelings. I I would have been heartbroken, but there would have been something underneath that that would have said, you're okay. This is actually for your good. This is going to grow you as a man like nothing else could. And I would have had a sense of trust in that moment rather than the, the actual despair that I felt. I felt like I was a helium balloon, cut free, floating in the atmosphere with no relationship. I felt so alone and so disconnected. But you see, that was actually good because I never would have recognized my dependence on women and my, my neediness and, and all of that without being dumped. <laughs> so the question is, can we share, can we have this perspective in the moment when the shit's hitting the fan, can we meet every condition in every circumstance, no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how awful it might be, no matter how somebody's intentions might be really mean and nasty. Can we go through that in an atmosphere of trusting now, though you might mean this for evil, this is for good. This is my ally. This is going to teach me something. So here's how the commitment reads. When you're coming from a conscious place, you say, I commit to seeing all people, conditions and circumstances as allies, perfectly suited to help me learn the most important things for my growth. I commit to seeing everything and everyone as being perfectly suited to help me learn the things that I need the most for my growth. Now, the conventional way of looking at people and circumstances is this I commit to seeing other people, conditions, and circumstances as obstacles, enemies, or impediments to me getting what I want most. This is in my way. This is not good. I don't like this. This is my enemy. This is an obstacle. And so you live with a kind of negativity. Whereas when you see life and everything in it as your ally, you live with gratitude. You just say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm evolving. This is exactly what I need. And by the way, this is not this is not some doc some doctrine, some dogma. This is just simply a choice. You <laughs> I mean, people and conditions and circumstances are what they are, right? They, life unfolds right in front of you. I mean, it is what it is, right? You just get to decide how you're going to define it. It is what it is. People are do what they do. Circumstances, oh, it's raining. Oh, there's traffic. Oh, this person broke up with me. Oh, that person ghosted me. Oh, that person gaslighted me. I mean, it, it is what it is. It's right there. It's, it's right in front of you. You get to decide how you're going to define it. And you can define it as, you know what? I'm going to choose to see this as my ally. It's going to teach me something that is perfectly suited for my growth. Or you can choose to see it as a piece of shit, awful, I can't believe it. Why does this happen to me? You can see it as an obstacle, an enemy, or some sort of impediment, some sort of negativity. And notice a different mood you would have. In general, the mood you would go through life, that's the conventional way. Most people go through life kind of sour. They go through life with a kind of a a little bit of a negativity. Well, there's good moments, you know, but circumstances, people, and conditions often unfold in ways that you don't like. (laughs) Have you noticed? That you're not in control. And so things happen in ways that you might not prefer. Like I wouldn't have I wouldn't have designed my fiance breaking up with me. I wouldn't have designed getting cancer. I wouldn't have designed losing my job. I wouldn't have designed this or that. Right? And because of that, most of us go through life saying, F you. This sucks. How many of us don't complain and whine and say life sucks and then you die, (laughs) right? That's because we're seeing these things as obstacles or enemies rather than allies. But if you look at everything that's happening as an ally, that even if it's uncomfortable or or, or something you would not have necessarily preferred – You look at it as your ally, that this is going to teach me and evolve me and grow me and make me smarter and wiser, make me a better, stronger person. Then you live with gratitude. You walk through life like I can't wait to experience life today because I know the universe is supporting my growth. And anything that happens, I'm going to see it as my ally. You you wouldn't even have any fear (laughs) I'm not afraid of rejection because if I end up getting rejected, that's what I need for my growth. That's not an obstacle. That's not a problem. It's supporting my evolution because maybe I'm, I, I need to learn how to let go. I, I need to learn how to, you know, not have rejection, own me and control me. So maybe the best way to do that is get rejected. So thank you for rejecting me because it really helped me grow. And get past that fear. Wow, huh? All right, that's commitment number seven. Number eight is one of the the commitment that is the... If commitment number seven was sort of... Well, let me back up. I think I said this in commitment number six. That it was easy to understand your sourcing... You have, you have wants, you're either looking outside of you or inside of you for that, right? It's easy to understand, but hard to do. Well, commitment number eight is the opposite. It It's sort of easy to do, but it's really hard to understand. <laughs> so this commitment is called, it's called the enough commitment. It's choosing to believe there is enough rather than scarcity. Let me say that again. This commitment is all about sufficiency. It's all about supply. I guess you could say, whether it's time, money, energy, resources, space, whatever. It's choosing to believe that there is enough for you rather than there is scarcity. Okay? Now, actually, it's not difficult to do that but it's sort of difficult to understand what this actually means this commitment is not about abundance okay there's a big spiritual materialism thing that i could go on a rant with that it happens in the church it happens in consciousness teachings this idea that we are all entitled to abundance that that the universe or God wants us all to be healthy and wealthy and rich and successful and all of that effing nonsense that you get from the secret and all the false teachers that teach that crap, okay? I don't care if you're in the church and it's Kenneth Copeland and all the health and wealth types of people that teach a false view of understanding biblical promises, or whether you're in a consciousness arena and they have the same kind of teachers that say, the more you grow spiritually, you know, you should be really rich and really successful and have everything that you want and abundance, abundance. No, this commitment is not about that. That's a false teaching. This commitment is deeper than that. What it's saying is is that in this now, present moment, right here in this nanosecond, you have enough of what you need. That there is no scarcity in this now moment. What this commitment says is if you don't go into the future and think about something five minutes from now, five days from now, or five years from now, if you don't go into the future with your thoughts of anticipation or desire. And if you don't go into the past and all the memories, if you are just here now, there is enough. There is sufficiency. There is enough resources. There's enough love for you now. However you're listening to this podcast, perhaps you're driving in your car in this moment. There's enough air for you in this moment. There's enough money for you because you're just driving in your car. Ooh, 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 I don't have a job. Well, how am I going to pay my bills a month from now? No, well, that doesn't exist. Really? That's an idea. I mean, a month from now will probably happen, but all that's actually real is this moment right now in this moment right now. You have enough. You're okay. This commitment is to recognize that if you stay out of your damn head, you're okay. You're okay. You could be getting chemo and going through all of that. And if you stay in the now moment, you're just a person getting chemo and you're okay that I have all the time and energy and resources that I need there is a, there is there is enough for me right now there is no lack okay so this commitment is not about money it's not about re- like, like it's not about accumulating wealth that's not what the enough commitment is this is the deepest spiritual recognition that in this now moment there is sufficiency and I can relax with it. So here's how the commitment reads. I commit to experiencing. And that's the phrase. I commit to experiencing that I have enough of everything. That there is no shortage or scarcity of time, money, love, energy, space, resources. So how many of us say, oh my God, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. We all feel rushed. Well, that's because we're living in our heads. Right? Time is just now. You don't have time. You are time. time. Time is now. Right? And there's a whole process here of recognizing and experiencing the sufficiency of the moment to where you can be at peace. You can have a sense of equilibrium and tranquility and equanimity because there is no lack in the present moment. So this is a this is a this is a deep thing. there's almost a guided meditation that you need to go through in order to begin to feel the nature of this commitment okay but here's the conventional way. here's I mean you know the conventional way. I know the conventional way because this is a commitment that you know curiosity was the commitment that I struggle with the most okay um, this one is second to it. <laughs> Right? Um, I go through life with a lot of worry. Um, I do experience very often that I don't feel like I, like I have enough enough resources or time or energy or I don't ha- I don't have what I need, right? But this commitment is experiencing that you have enough of everything in this now moment. But here's the conventional way. It says I commit to a scarcity mentality. Choosing to see that there is not enough for me, and others in the world, and therefore I have to grasp for and defend what is mine. We get a real sense of entitlement and attachment when we believe in scarcity. There's not enough, so I got to hold on to it. I got to, I got to hoard it. I've got to protect it. It's mine. Can't give it away. I got to defend it. I gotta grasp for it. I have to chase it. There is there's scarcity. Scarcity breeds fear, it breeds attachment. It it breeds mine. So this commitment is is choosing to believe that there is enough that I don't have to live a life life of grasping, of defending of attaching there is enough for me. And it brings a sense of freedom like you can't imagine. So I'll stop there with this one just for the sake of time, but that's a really deep one and you may have questions and that's what I'm here for. Okay. Commitment number nine is a, is called the integrity commitment or more specifically it's about agreements. Okay. When you live a conscious life, you live a life of integrity and that doesn't mean that you do the right thing versus the wrong thing, because those are very difficult to define depending on who you are, where you are, and so forth. Um, right and wrong really is relative to a lot of situations. Is it wrong to kill someone? Yeah, but what if they're about to kill you? Then no. <laughs> right? So um, so this commitment is about Agreements. And so it's described as choosing to be congruent rather than incomplete. means I'm congruent with my word and my agreements. It means if I say something, I'm going to do it. If I make a promise, I'm going to fulfill it. If I say I will not do something, you can count on, I won't do it. It means I'm very impeccable with my word. Don Miguel Ruiz wrote a book called... The four agreements and the, the first agreement was be impeccable with your word, right? You want to screw up relationships, then make agreements and don't keep them. You know, I often say that we can make relationships very difficult. We have all these theories and different this and different that. I mean, having good relationships, it's somewhat as easy as make and keep clear agreements, you know, like don't enter into agreements that you don't really want to keep and be very clear with your agreements. Who's doing what by when? Are we all on the same page? Are we, are we clear? We're meeting at seven o'clock here. Who's doing what? Who's doing Everything's outlined. Everything's cleared and everybody has the integrity to say, I'm committed to to keeping my agreements. When you do that, relationships work pretty well. You rarely get in drama, but when you break your agreements, when you don't keep them, when you make unclear agreements, I thought I thought you were gonna do that. I, I was I was just assuming that that you would show up on time or or that you were gonna be there on Saturday, or that you were gonna take the garbage out. I don't know what. Um, When they're unclear, it leads to drama. And and so a lot of us live with, if you think about your life, we live with a lot of incompletions. Think about how many times you've told someone, I'll call you back, or I'll get back to you later today, and you don't. I mean, how many times have you said you would do something? I mean, it happens to me all the time as a coach. I get people calling me up. They want to maybe investigate working with me and they have a conversation with me about my coaching program and we connect them. I tell them the price. I tell them what, what's going on. I feel like I can help them. They're like, okay, give me a couple days to think about it. I'm like, great. Take all the time you want. How much time you need? Well, I'll let you know by Friday. Good. Okay, so we have an agreement that you'll give me an answer one way or the other on Friday as to whether or not you want to work with me. Fine. Boom. Friday comes, Saturday comes, Sunday comes, nothing. Okay. Now I just let it go. It's not personal. It's not about me. It's the way they live. They're not a person of integrity. They're demonstrating it. And I often say to myself, sort of, well, no wonder why your love life is a mess. Because if you're not keeping a simple agreement with me, it's not personal to me. This is the way you do things. What you say, you don't mean. You don't follow through. You don't... You're not a person who is impeccable with their word. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of relationship troubles. You're going to have people are going to have difficulty trusting you. Of course. (laughs) Right. Okay. So I recommend that you do a little inventory of yourself and all your relationships and say, is there anything that I have? Are there any broken agreements that I need to clear up? Maybe I need to go to someone and say, you know what? I told you I'd call you last Tuesday and I didn't. I wouldn't be surprised if you don't want to be my friend anymore because I said something and I didn't do it, but I'm recommitting that I'm going to be really impeccable with my commitments. And by the way, that starts by really getting clear about what you really want to do and what you don't. Because when you follow this commitment, you recognize when I give my word, I'm going to follow through on it. So I better be damn sure about what I'm committing to. Because I won't allow myself to back out. So then we talk about something called a whole body, yes. Do you make commitments that everything within you says, yes, I really want to do that? I'm really clear. I, I, I'm I'm in total alignment. I'm congruent. Right? I'm in I'm in alignment about making this agreement, making this commitment. Because when you when you do, when it's something you really want to do, well, then you're going to keep it. But many of us make commitments and we say yes and we'll do things. We make promises and we really don't want to because we're just trying to impress someone or we feel like we should or we have to or I can't say no, right? And then you usually find your way a way to weasel out of your commitment or to, to not do it or to do it half-assed or something. And then you cause drama. For yourself or the other person is just, you know, you, 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 you back out at the last moment, you, you follow me. So commitment number nine is called integrity or really agreements. And here's how it reads from the conscious perspective. I commit to being impeccable with my word. I make clear agreements and I keep them whether they are big or small and whether they are made with myself or someone else. I do what I say when I say I will do it, and I don't do what I promised not to do. That's a mouthful there. But this is even about making promises to yourself. And right now I'm recording this right after the first part of the year in the resolution sort of window. How many of us have made resolutions we don't keep them? See, we're out of integrity with ourselves. Don't make a resolution if you know you're not going to do it. Follow through. It does something to your your energy when you say, I'm going to lose 10 pounds, and you don't, and you don't arrange your life to do that. There's something that happens to your energy when you say, I've got some habit that I'm going to quit, and you don't. No one says you've got to lose weight. No one says you have to quit a habit. But if you make a promise to yourself, keep it. Because you damage yourself when you don't. And if you make a promise to someone else and you don't keep it, you're damaging the relationship. So here's the conventional way it happens. I commit to living in incompletion by breaking my agreements or by making unclear agreements. I commit to making agreements from shoulds, have tos, or to please others rather than making them from a whole body yes. That's how everybody does their life, really. I They're committed to living in incompletion by breaking agreements, making unclear agreements, doing it from shoulds or have-tos or to please others, to manage their image, rather than making decisions from a whole body yes. Perhaps I'll do a podcast on what a whole body yes is to go deeper into it, but just the name. I think gives you a real window. So that's commitment number 9. It's about inte- integrity in your agreements. Number 10 is the commitment called play. And we'll finish with this. It's choosing playfulness rather than seriousness. Right? How serious do we take ourselves, our lives? Right? We we we, we we're so tight, we're so tense. We're we're we just, everything's life and death. Everything's a big deal. We lose perspective. Really, we really, like I'm jealous sometimes of astronauts. People go to the moon or they're, they're out in space and they look back. I think it would give you a different perspective on how serious you take everything. When you're out there and able to notice that we are just living on a little rock, a little, tiny, little rock, in the middle of absolutely nowhere. I mean, surrounded by empty space for millions and millions of miles. You know, I heard just the other day that the speed of light is 286,000 miles per second. Okay? That's the speed of light. So, light takes about eight point something seconds to get from the sun all the way to the earth. Eight seconds is how long it takes at the speed of light to get to the end of our galaxy. The Milky way galaxy would take you 2000 years going that fast, not for eight seconds for 2000 years. Since like Jesus, that would just get to the end of our galaxy. And they say there's billions of galaxies. So we're sitting on this little rock spinning around in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And w- what are you worried about? Right? You got, what, 80, 90 years? You don't know where you came from. You don't know where you go. I don't care what you say. You don't. You might believe things about where you came from and where you go, but you don't know. Nobody knows where you go after you die. Don't let anybody tell you they do. Mm-hmm. They tell themselves a story about it so it makes them feel better because it's kind of scary to wonder and not know. Remember how I said in the story, commitment, that when you don't know something, your mind makes up stories? There you go. It makes up stories about the afterlife because it's just too scary to not know. Okay? But putting that aside, when you stand back and look at your life, you're here for 80, 90 years, and you're just sitting on a rock, it's spinning around the middle of nowhere. So, is anything that serious? tell me what you're really worried about given that life is so short and we're we're just in the middle of nowhere. I mean, they can't find life anywhere within millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of miles. We're just, I don't know how we got here. We're, we just evolved. We're here. So when you see it from that perspective, shouldn't you just enjoy the ride? <laughs> Shouldn't you be more playful in your attitude and in your spirit rather than being all serious and bent and driven and worried and concerned, right? So if you get a wide enough perspective, it leads to playfulness and it just makes you like let go of seriousness. So here's how the commitment reads when you're really conscious. I commit to creating a life of play. And seeing all of life, including my pursuit of intimacy, unfold easefully and effortlessly, I commit to the recognition that I am sitting on a rock, earth, that has been spinning around in empty space for billions of years, and therefore, nothing is that serious. Right? So I commit to a life of play. I commit to enjoying my life. Yes, you have your responsibilities, and your work is important, and raising your kids, there's some serious things, right? So I'm not saying there aren't issues that come up that are serious. Cancer is serious. I mean, finding a job, yeah, yeah, but at a certain level, none of it's serious. If you stand back far enough and recognize you're going to be gone in 80, 90 years anyway, and no one's going to remember you, I mean, given enough time, no one's going to remember Elon Musk or George Washington, I mean there's people with huge legacies but given enough time no one's going to remember. I mean don't take yourself that seriously. Right? But you could but from this leads a real life a play. A real life of I want to enjoy this this spin around the the sun that we're doing. Right? But the conventional way is this. This is the way everyone does it. I commit to seeing my life and especially my pursuit of intimacy, as serious. Relationships require work, effort, and struggle. And I commit to taking the whole thing personally. It's all personal. It's not personal. Nothing's personal. You just popped up on this planet for 80 years, and you're going to disappear. It's like a a drop of water on the ocean, a wave splashes and a little drop just pops up out of the ocean and it appears in midair there for a couple of seconds then it falls back into the water. That's like your life. You're just popping up. You ever go to a park um, and they have the little water spouts that shoot up out of the ground? They come out of different holes and the children play and so forth. That's what, that's what, that's what my life is like. That's what your life is like. You're just popping up. Out of the quantum field. <laughs> no. You're just popping up for a while. You're here for a while. Then you just dis- disappear. So while you're in the popped up phase. Don't take yourself too seriously. Don't take things personally. This commitment says. I want to live a life of play. Doesn't that sound fun? Okay. So those are the 10 commitments. Of. Of. Conscious dating and relating and living. And by the way, I should say, I should have said this way back at the beginning. I have not made these commitments, I haven't thought them up out of thin air. They have been modified from a book called The Fifteen Commitments of Conscious Leadership, written by my best friend Jim Dethmer and my former coach Diana Chapman. Okay? They list fifteen commitments in regards to being a conscious leader. Well, I've just taken them and said, well, leading and relating, there's a real overlap here. And I pared them down and I said, well, here's 10 commitments for conscious dating, conscious relating. I changed some of the wording to fit a relationship conversation. So I want to give credit to them. I didn't make these things up. Well, well, all these commitments come from Buddha or Jesus, frankly. Nothing's been new since those guys. okay? But here are the 10 commitments. And what I'm inviting you to do is to be a part of my tribe. I, I, I want to I interact with a group of people that say, I want to live that way. I want to work towards that. Yeah, they're really radical. And yeah, you need to learn a lot about this. And, and it's three steps forward and two steps back. And you may have your intention to live these things and you will fail. Let me tell you, you will blame You will avoid your feelings. You will conceal things. You will feel like scarcity is real. You will take yourself too seriously. I do it. You'll do it. We'll all do it. That isn't the point. The point is what we're aiming at, what we aspire to be in the life we aspire to live. And I'm just telling you, if you want a healthy, sustainable relationship, then get into a relationship by living according to these commitments. Like, I'm going to pursue intimacy, and I'm not going to be a blamer. I am not going to think I'm right about everything. I am going to feel my feelings. I'm going to reveal my truth. I'm going to question my thoughts and my stories. I'm going to source my needs from within myself and not put that on my partner, right? I'm going to see all my partners as my allies, I am going to really recognize there's enough for me. There's enough love for me. And I am going to keep my agreements and be impeccable with my word. And I'm going to live a life of play and relax and not take things too seriously. That is the way I'm going to roll. And then it's like, who wants to dance with me? Who wants to live this way? And I want to say real quickly here that I envision people meeting and dating and very early in that process, pulling out the dating manifesto on the table and say, you know what? You're cute. And you know what? I'm attracted to you. And we have some things in common, but I want to put this dating manifesto on, on on the table and say, this is the way I want to live. Do you want to live this way too? Because if we both want to live this way, we've got a chance. But if you're trying to live the conscious way and they're committed to living the conventional way, you are not compatible right? I mean, you're doing opposite things. They're a blamer. You're a claimer. That ain't never going to work. Do you follow me with this? This is really what compatibility is built on. These kinds of commitments. So with that, let me just wrap up by saying you need help with this. I know I do. I still need people to support my effort to align my life with these commitments but I'm sold out to them I'm sold out to being a person of curiosity and when someone says something to me or criticizes me or gives me feedback that touches my ego and pushes my buttons I'm committed to responding that from the place of how is it true to not being defensive that's my bugaboo what's yours which which commitments do you need to really work on to make yourself this healthy person that can create something meaningful? That's what I'm here to do. So if you want to explore that, then I'm your coach. And you can find me at coachingwithroy at gmail.com or roy at coachingwithroy.com and 407-687-3387. So here's to you. I salute you If you want to align your life with the dating manifesto, and I'd love to hear from you if you do. And then finally, if you want the document, all 10 of these laid out in a PDF, send me an email and I'll shoot it right to you. Okay? That was quite a series. I'm excited that you put the time into it and we'll see you next time on the Attracting Lasting Love podcast. You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships.